Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My guest today has been in digital marketing for over a decade, part of which was at Google. And uh, he was the head of growth at the Excel Club, which is an Amazon aggregator. And he's now the CEO and founder of King E4, which is a private label incubator. So everybody meet my guest, uh, Matt Tucker. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, when you and I discussed, you mentioned a methodology that you developed to make the brands that you work with successful. So tell us, tell us, what is your methodology? Yeah, you know, um, before I talk about that, you know, I'll talk about what I think, you know, what I, I think a lot of Amazon sellers, especially the aggregators focus on too much. And that is the, uh, let's say the numbers, right? The dynamics, the statistics, um, the data that you're getting out. And why that's also very, very important. Um, so you can understand, you know, where you can optimize, where you can increase sales. What I think most everyone does, most everyone forgets about is the actual brand. Um, and, and when we decided to create this incubator, we said, we're going to create great brands uh, that will um, not only be good sellers, but they'll be kind of easy to find, a great story to tell, uh, be found by the consumers, be liked by the consumers, and, uh, and then grow from that. Using obviously data and statistics and all of the let's say the 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 information that you get back from from Amazon and such, so you need to optimize after that. So when we think about that, you know, we think, okay, what is a brand? I mean, a brand is it's not it's not the same thing that you'll see when you talk about a brand in in a typical store. So we talk about brand like being a Tide or Pepsi or Coca Cola, and we kind of. Me use a shorthand of saying a brand is something that is well known. So everyone knows it. So therefore it's a brand. On Amazon, it's slightly different. Uh, a brand, what we believe, is something that is a product that tells a good story very briefly that consumers want and didn't realize they want, but now they want it. Uh, and and you you're have to do that within basically your very limited parameters. You have to do that within your pictures, your A-plus content, your listing, your reviews, and then your social media. So what I'm hearing from you is, so there are four things that I heard you say about building a brand. Easy to find. Yep. That's numbers. Uh, what do you mean numbers? When I say numbers, I'm talking about like easy to find based on keywords, which keywords, blah, blah. So no, not, not necessarily, not necessarily. We, not necessarily, you know, we want to launch a product that when you actually, when, when you look at the, let's say the, the, uh, the search results, how well does our product actually is going to stand out among all the other visually? How is it going to stand out versus the, all the other products out there? And what are we going to do in order to make it stand out? Are we going to change the color? Are we going to change the, the, um, the, the main photo? Is it, if it's a product that is already similar, if that is selling in, you know, similarly to other products, what are we going to do in order to make people? So that brings me to the second thing you mentioned, which is really your, you know, 
fundamental approach is the a great story to tell, right? Yes, yes. So great story to tell. The other thing you said is easy to, uh, I think you said easy to buy. No, uh, so the consumer can easily understand why they might need it. Oh, e- yeah. yeah. And, and the, the last thing you said is easy to like. That is also hand in hand with storytelling. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one so of the you're connecting, you're connecting with the consumer emotionally by the way you present the product. So it's really about storytelling, really, yeah. at the end of the day. Yes, it is storytelling. So in, in tra- tra- traditional advertising and marketing, where I'm originally from, the storytelling usually comes in a, used to come in a 30 second commercial. Yes. Uh, but people buy stories. People love stories. And, and the, great, the greatest brands out there are the ones that tell the best stories. Uh, we are just, we're forced to tell the story in a different format, uh, but you're still telling a great story. So you bring it to the basics. So, you know, this, this little conversation we just had uh, reminded me of a video clip you can pull up on YouTube by Steve Jobs. So he's brought back to Apple and he's trying to resuscitate the operation. And he's presenting to his team a new campaign they came up with. And it's not the campaign about the launch of that thing that, you know, they big, uh, that's not the one I'm talking about. This is a much more intimate presentation he's making in a small room full of his team. And he says, who are we? We used to be this. We used to be that. We used to be the other. And then, so he says... I'm going to show you something I'm very proud of that we've been working on with our marketing agency. And then he presents this this black and white commercial mm-hmm. about all the great people. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, the, the crazy ones. Yeah, yeah, the crazy ones. Those yeah. are the, who, who are yeah. crazy enough that they can change the world. Yep. Usually, do so. Right. That I mean, that is the uh, the ultimate storytelling to me. What do you think? No, I I definitely agree. I mean, I tend to like I I I try to avoid using Apple as an example because it's it's often it's too easy, Um, and everyone believes that they're a specialist in the Apple brand. Therefore, people tend to make you know uh, they can make conclusions which might necessarily be based in fact. Uh, having said that, though, having said that, what you're talking about is the brand essence. So Apple has a very clear brand essence, which was which came from Steve Jobs. But most importantly, that brand essence came alive in every single product that you touched. So the brand story was not just a TV commercial. It actually came alive. So when you actually felt the iPhone in your hand, when or before it was the, what was it? That, it wasn't the iPhone. It was the uh, iPod. The, the iPod, right? So it's the iPod, and then the iPhone, and then the Mac, the new iMac. Everything that, that, that all the products that they uh, uh, came out with w- reflected that brand essence, which Steve Jobs came up with. Now, having said that, there are plenty of other brand manifestos like that, that you know, have a brand essence that when you actually go and touch the product, it's crap, right? You know, uh, um, you know, Microsoft, for example. I mean, Microsoft might have a good brand essence. I don't necessarily, can't, I can't formulate it in a very brief sentence right now. But people never really had the, the the enjoyment that they would have that came that came out in the products. So it's more imp- so. So the better brands are where they what they say is what they do. It's that simple. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they they say they do, and and 
and, and you know, it, the, the brand story, you have to remember, it comes across in, and this is another thing that Apple actually came up with was, or it proved to everyone is that the brand story continues. Once the person sees the commercial, then they actually buy it. When they actually get the product, that unboxing was a continuation of the brand story. And they basically revolutionized the way unboxing is done. So now everyone has to do unboxing like uh, Apple did because it continued to tell the story about Apple being, you know, thinking different or being different. Um, so, so, uh, yeah. so let's now connect this back to Amazon. So yeah. give us some examples of the storytelling for your brands because you are limited to, at the end of the day, the pictures and the title and the bullets. And if you are brand registered, which you should be, the yeah. A plus, A plus content. So yeah. give us some examples, some best practices. Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is, you know, what is the consumer need? Is there a clear consumer need? And is that uh, it can be a, a, a can be what we call an unmet need or a, a met need. So an unmet need is something that people don't realize that they have the need for. But once you show them, they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I what I was thinking of. Right. Um, one great example I always bring up. It's not, it's not our products, but I just love this as, as an example. When I talk to people about. Amazon is that it is, um, I've been selling on Amazon. It's, it's nail polish for dogs. Nail okay. polish for dogs. Nail polish for dogs. There is actually na- nail polish for dogs. Yes. There's nail polish for dogs. I, I, <laughs> now that I told you that, right. It actually sounds kind of cool. And now you can actually in your, imagine in your mind, the type of person that would actually go out and buy that. Okay. Now, you didn't know that existed, but if you had a dog and if you had a wife who had, a, let's say, a toy dog, she'd say, hey, you know, that sounds kind of cool, right? Now, that, so you didn't know that existed. You didn't know there was a need for it. Now, there's a need for it. And by the way, they sell this one ASIN sells, okay, I haven't checked in many months. Uh, they were selling about $15,000 a month in, with this one ASIN, right? Wow. For, for extreme, something very, very, very niche. Um, but there's tells a great story right there. I mean, all I had to do is say dog polish for nails. Okay. Now we can actually, now we can talk about the product, the product itself. It's a marker. It's not, it's so it's like a marker. It dries very quickly because the dog is going to look good off. It's non-toxic. It's so on and so on and so on and so on. It's leaking and everything, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, we would have launched that if we could have found, you know, a, a manufacturer at a good price. That's the other thing, by the way, when we're talking about the brand is also, you know, there's the pro- there's the brand promise and there's the price and those t- they kind of have to match. If I said the the nail polish for dogs um, cost ninety nine cents, you'd be like, that's a little cheap, a little you know. But if I also said it cost ninety nine dollars, you'd say, well, that's too expensive. So part of that story is the value of that, you know. So how much is uh, is this product worth in the context of the story, right? Um, so, you know, you can, you can, um, uh, you, so that's, you know, what the price comes into. So not only is price a factor of what your, your cost of good is and your landing cost, uh, price is also a factor of what the person thinks it should cost, right? It's the uh, P's, right? It's the P's of the, the marketing. Yeah, I remember that as well. I was, that's, that, that is uh, somewhat outdated again, um, yeah, a price product positioning. Yeah, it, it, it's always it's always in that in that area. But again, I, you know, it's not just about price, product, and positioning. You know, people want to buy into something like in in a story. Like another example, we have a product so that um, it's very there's a, a, a 
uh, it's a product which is sold already by other sellers. Um, it is not dramatically different. Uh, but how we made it different and why they're telling the story is that there were eight per pack and there were 12 per pack. So we're selling 10 per pack at the price of eight. And that's it. That's the story right there is that you get more for the same amount of money. So we were thinking eight is, too, eight is not enough, 12 is too much. So 10 is the exact amount and it's at a good value. I see. So that, that, the story there is the value. The story is the, val- the, story is the value, but also you're getting, it's then the, the Goldilocks, just enough. You're not, you're not getting too little, you're not getting too many. So it's an easy, so again, that's just the, that again, that is an example of the story that we're telling. And how do we tell it? We tell it through the box design. So our, our main photo is the product, but we have a, the box in the background showing very specifically that it is 10 per pack. Um, and, and that's another example of a story that you can tell. It's not, is it, a, is it, the, is it a, the, the best story ever? Of course not. Is it a story that we can defend indefinitely? Of course not but it's doing its job at the moment. Yeah, I see. So y- y- you are not really talking about just visual storytelling. You are talking about all aspects of it. Exactly. You can, you can uh, like, you know, you, you, you gave a few different examples here. You said nail polish for dogs. That's in the title, right? So now you're telling the story in the title. Yeah. And you talk about uh, the 10 per pack for the price of eight that's in the price. Right. And then, you know, you talked about the picture. So there's different ways. Right. I guess one has to first stop and think, you know, what is my story that I'm going to be selling? So they're not actually selling a, so they're not selling a product. They're selling a story, right? Exactly. Well, who's that's they? the approach. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, ideally um, you you're selling a story, Right. And uh, the, let's say the main characters in the story is how the product looks, how the product functions, the price, and and all the other factors, the reviews. Um, all those other factors are basically they're just parts of that story. That or if you want to use a different metaphor, you're writing. We're writing a sheet of music, and every single part of that is a note. So you have to, you know, reviews, the the photos, the price, the product, how the product looks, what what color the product is. We've specifically chosen specific, you know, colors of products to that they stand out in the um, search results. Yes. So, you know, we've noticed everything is mostly white and gray. So we want the color of blue. We chose Tiffany blue. We thought that Tiffany blue would be a little bit more, let's say, fashionable. Um, and it stands out and it gets people to focus on the product. So you are the marketing expert here. Tell me if I'm right. But I... Uh... I heard this a long time ago. IBM blue is often the most preferred corporate color because IBM blue is the color that instills trust in people the most. Is that accurate? I I I I don't know. I mean, I, I like to, you know, I'm no longer in, in traditional marketing. I used to like, you know, so much of traditional marketing is BS. Um, and, 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 and I'm sure you can find a, a report, a psychology report that kind of proves that, but at the same time, I can list 10 brands that have a color of red and that are extremely successful, you know, Coca-Cola. Yeah. I mean, I, I so at the end of the day, um, I, I don't, I mean, 
color does, uh, I'm sure color does play a certain effect, but to say that blue is going to be, is going to create more trust than red. I, I just don't have. So this yeah. is the only thing that I know about. I cannot cite the, the, the scientific study, but the red, I mean, sorry, the green, the color green is the easiest color as a background for human eyes to look for extended periods of time without feeling tired, apparently. That's why in the old days, if you remember, it was the monitors were always green. Hmm. Interesting. So that, that's the reason why they picked green, apparently, the human eyes. However, the blue, so, you know, I, I heard about this IBM blue being the most trusted. And then when Facebook launched, what color is Facebook, right? Yeah, you know, but a lot of times, and a lot of times brands have to choose colors, which will, are not necessarily, um, see, I, you know, I've participated in a lot of branding products where we created a lot of logos, a lot of, a lot of new brand names. And, and I can tell you from our side, we were literally making this up as we go along. One of the best brands that we've ever de developed, literally we developed five minutes before the client walked in because we didn't have anything good, Right. And we were in a panic mode and someone just shouted out something ridiculous. And we said, okay, we're going to go with that because we had nothing better. Right. And in turn, and that, that brand ended up selling for, or that company ended up selling for $4 billion to Coca-Cola, uh, to Pepsi-Cola. So I'm sorry, not 4 billion, 1.4 billion. Um, so uh, it, it's hard. It's so hard. It really is um, to, you know, uh, to, to kind of say what's going to work and what's not going to work and the whole color schemes, you know, if you talk to creative directors and designers, I'm sure they'll come back to with a much better opinion. I am more of the person of saying, you know what, uh, for every case you give me to prove it, I can show you two cases exactly. to, that's, to, not, that's, to, to disprove that's, it. Right. That's the era we are living in. Yeah, it, it's, it's always like that. So going by studies, you just but, have to go by your own study, your own experience. And, and that's, to be honest, one of the reasons why I got, I got into digital marketing is because I got I got kind of exhausted of the, dis the, the discussion, the creative discussion of subjectivity of, you know, it does blue create more trust or not. Right. I, I just got tired of that. And you're never going to do, you're not going to develop a, a, a foolproof uh, focus group or, or, or hall test to prove one way or the other. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen so much research that have shown that this product is going to be great and the product fails. Yeah. Um, so I got into, you know, so I got into digital marketing because numbers don't lie. Um, you know, you don't have like, you don't have to have this, you don't have, you can do, you know, AB testing, but you can, you don't have to have the ideal creative. You can literally post every single creative on Facebook and then Facebook will figure out which one is works the best. Um, so digital marketing, because you get that feed, you get on an almost an automatic feedback loop. You get um, the, the, the data, you get that feedback and then you're able to uh, you know, make decisions based on what works and what doesn't. In traditional advertising, you never could do that. Um, so, you know, maybe you can do a disaster check, but you couldn't do, you couldn't, you couldn't predict that this logo is going to generate 5% more uplift than, than this one. Uh, thanks to digital marketing, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you can. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that's the, the trick you have to keep trying. And then most important, you have to know what you are monitoring and then you, you stay on it like as real time as possible over a period of time. That's another thing. People think that, Oh, you know, I'll just do this and then I'm going to know. No, because you have to watch the data over yeah. a period of time. And then when you need to make changes, don't change too many things, change one thing at a time. And then I, give it more time. That's what drains yeah. the cash, right? I, I, I've seen that a lot of times is that 
um, even I have to stop myself. My team has to stop me. And I'm like, well, let's change it. Like, guys, we, you know, we agreed we're going to wait for a week and we need, you know, you have to. And I understand some as an owner or a co-founder or the, or, or this, you know, you, you want to see changes happen faster. And I've seen that a lot where um, you make too many um, brash or, 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 or uh, decisions, or you, you make too many, you know, left turns or right turns and you end up uh, killing your momentum um, and then you have to basically start over again. The hardest thing to do is sit and wait and, yeah. and just, you know, it's really, you know, you'll spend and, and it doesn't, it feels weird in terms of working because you work your ass off for a day and then you literally sit in, on your, on your butt for four days and you have to wait. And a lot of people that doesn't, you know, the American format of thinking is like, oh, I have to, if I'm, I have to be working every day, I have to be doing something. I have to, I have to, a lot of times the best thing to do is do nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah. And I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of CEOs make that mistake of wanting to change change too much too fast uh, because yeah. they want quicker results. And what they end up doing is they delay the results in the end. Yeah, because so. you have to go back to the drawing board and redo the whole thing. Yep. So, yep, yep. Uh, so to bring it all together, I mean, you we're talking philosophically somewhat, but at the same time, it clearly actionable information for a lot of people. So. First of all, stop focusing on keywords or anything. First, no, no, con about, no continue focusing it, on keywords. Yeah, but put it in the context of yes. storytelling. So the right. uh, keywords are not the story. It's the, they are the, the ingredients of right. telling the story. And then you decorate the story with the keywords, bring focus, and that storytelling can be anything. It could be your title, it could be your pictures, it could be your bullets, it could be your know, A-plus content. They work you know, right. hand in hand, but there is a story. Not And also, you can't be telling five different stories in one list. Right. Right? So you have to right. focus on one story and then test. And when you're testing, put out something and wait. Right. And then if you're going to change, change one thing and wait the mm -hmm. equal amount of time. And then, uh, you know, that, that yep. way, yep. that is the way to build it. And what it also gets, the additional benefit, and the a very important benefit after this is, first of all, you get um, you, the ability to stand out from competitors, um, especially like us. We do almost all, most of our sourcing is in China. So if there's someone not selling, if, if someone's not selling our product today, a similar product, they will be selling it tomorrow. Um, so it gives, so being tied to that story gives you the ability to stand out, but it also gives you, let's say, I would say price protection. So there's a reason to buy, you know, people will, there's a justification to pay more for your product and you can sell at a premium. Uh, and, uh, and that will prevent you from, let's say Chinese sellers walking in selling your product at half the price um, and, and, they will siphon some uh, some sales away, but because you have a better story, because and I'll say in a, in a very in a very kind of basic way, because you don't have typos in your listing, because it's normal English in your listing. That's also telling the story. So you know we had we actually had a product that was exactly like ours, the exact same factory. We believe it was actually a factory selling against us. Um, Rather than they could have just stole our listing, but they didn't. Rather, they tried to write their own listing. And it was horribly, it was just horrendously bad, and their their and the the reviews that they ended up buying were also horrendously bad. Um, and 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 again, right there is is a very simple, you know, 
we are, a tr- you can trust us. We're American. We talk like Americans. You can understand us in customer service as well. When I get a customer service request, it's answered with my name. So I sign it Matthew. Um, so they know they're talking to a human being, but they're also talking to someone who lives next door to them. Yeah. You, you know, you just said something. This is the, this will now date me, but 1999. Okay. I was in Orlando at a marketing conference uh, organized by Inc. Magazine. Okay. 1999, internet just coming out. People are, you know, you have IPOs all over the place. And, and at the time, I was building a, an, an e-commerce platform for small businesses, online store solution. Mm-hmm. Those days, it didn't ex- I mean, e-commerce didn't exist, in yeah. that, as you know. It was back just then, back then. It sounded back then. It sounded crazy. Yeah, exactly. So who's gonna put their? You know, those days. Remember, people were afraid to put their credit card number online. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you laugh. It's, it's so it was a major concern. So, and I was an e-commerce provider then. So, but my concern, not concern, but my focus was: what kind of marketing tools can I incorporate in my platform? So, uh, because marketing, I realized, had become a science and art together at the same time, instead of just being an art. So I thought, okay, I need tools. So, so I went to this conference, and they had many workshops running. And one of those workshops was about customer service. Yeah, it was marketing through customer service. So I asked the question. I said, you know, these days, it's the age of emails in terms of providing support. So first question, when you receive a customer service email, what is a good response time? Is it better to answer right away or is it better to wait? Because if you answer right away, it's like, you know, oh, these guys have nothing to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the answer was the sooner the better. Yeah, I agree with that. So I developed a habit now, any email I get, I answer immediately. Not doesn't matter, customer service is, is irrelevant. Any email yeah. right away. The second thing that I asked was, what is a good way to respond to an email when you're signing? Is it blah, blah, team, or is it a name? They said, always personalize. Yeah, yeah. Because companies are not, you know, there's this this... this concept of companies are people, corporations yeah. are people. Yeah. Well, corporations are made up of people, but at the end of the day, a corporation is not pushing the send button, right? Yeah. It's a person yeah. pushing the send button. Yeah. So always personalize. And you just mentioned that always put my name. So that's a good practice, right? Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, for, for a few reasons. One, um, I do it to, you know, most people write me only when they're, when, when they're not happy. I mean, most <laughs> Right. So, so for me, it's an exercise in, in, in avoiding getting a one star or two star. Okay. That's number one. Uh, number two, it's, I, I want to go out of, I, I love the fact that the, the fact that these people took the time to write me, right. That means they opened the box, they found our address, they took the time and they wrote me. I'm going to do everything possible to make that person happy because it gives me the opportunity to make that person happy. Right. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a direct contact. Um, someone gave me feedback uh, on the product, um, which, to be honest, um, we didn't think about, but like, you know what, they're right, you know, and that's, and they took the time. Someone actually sat down, took the time to think about my product, give me free feedback. So we're going to implement that in our next print run. We're going to change the, the instructions on, on our manual 
that thanks to their feedback. I, I, that's a great thing. Why, why would it? So of course I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I look forward to this. Uh, one, you know, one woman, um, she gave a one-star review said it was a horrible product. Um, I called customer service. Uh, they told me to return it to UPS, but I'm not wasting my money on gas to drive to UPS. And I'm like, oh, come on. First of all, let's, let's break that down. First of all, there's no customer service number, so I don't know who she called. I highly doubt she called Amazon customer service because it's not easy to find that number. If most people want to do a refund, they're just going to hit refund. Okay. So I wrote her and I said, you know, I apologize for her. The, you know, I said, we're, we're committed to great customer service and obviously we, we failed. Um, is there anything we can do to make this up? I said, I'll tell you, we'll, get, we'll refund you for that product and you don't need to drive to UPS. You can just keep it. And on top of that, we're going to send you a free product. She writes back. She says, thank you very much. And it says, thank you for making this right. And then two weeks later, she deleted the one-star review. And you didn't even ask for it. Right? I, I can't, I'm not allowed to, right? Not only did I not ask for it, I'm not allowed to ask for it. Um, but that's, she did that out of kind of like, I don't know, the, the kindness of her own heart after I, maybe she realized she was a little overly bitter and she exaggerated a story. I didn't, I couldn't call her out. I didn't want to, you know, my job was basically to, okay, how do I make this wrong? Right. Okay. I, she's right. I'm wrong. I don't care. All I want is to get rid of that one-star review. Um, and I looked and I was like, you know, it was, uh, it was, and I think we were, I was emailing with her one o'clock in the morning because I couldn't go to sleep until I got rid of that star. Um, you know, so, so, um, it, but you know, I, hopefully she went and she told her friend and she said, Hey, these guys are, you know, um, you know, someone wrote me, you know, there was a part missing and I was extremely, well, that, the value of that removal of that one star rating is yeah. obviously that's, that's huge. So I always tell people when, when situations like this happen, what do you want? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be profitable? Exactly. So uh, if you, if you want to be right, go ahead, take a stand, a fighter to death. But exactly. Uh, exactly. if you want to be profitable, the value of removing a negative feedback is, yeah. It, yeah. Far exceeds, you know, so customer, yeah. You know, so look, great customer service is something that we have that our competitors don't have. So again, it's part of the story as well. Someone actually posted, they actually said, you know what, a uh, great customer, you know, they, in the product, not the seller review, but the product review, they said great customer service. And I would, you know, I'd buy more, I'd, I'd recommend the, these sellers to everyone. So, um, you know, like I said, it all comes back, you know, we, we are an American company. Uh, we're based in America. We are uh, owned by Americans. Uh, we talk American and we want people to have that. It's a question of trust. You can trust us more than another company, which doesn't have a nice sounding name or they don't speak perfect English. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. our company. Yeah. So, I mean, there is, there is a, people definitely want to be able to be understood when they say something or write something. And then at the same time, they want to be appreciated as a customer. And if something goes wrong, they don't want to be ignored. So everything that we talked about in terms of storytelling and then building this whole following ultimately needs to be verified by the numbers. So that brings us to the nuts and bolts of the operation. So share with us some of the things that you monitor in terms of numbers. What is telling you your storytelling is succeeding uh, other than just increasing sales because that's just a byproduct. Uh, so what are some things you watch? Well, we're looking at uh, reviews. Um, we're also looking at you know, the voice of customer. 
Um, there's a lot of value information that we get there. A lot of the, a lot of the, the voice of the customer stuff does not come across in reviews. Um, so we're getting a lot of good feedback. So we changed, uh, we changed part of our listing on one of the products because someone, you know, complained. We thought we were clear about it, but obviously we weren't clear about it. So we, we changed it in the listing. Um, so we're always, you know, we're looking at, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the volume and the type of comments we're getting back in, in voice of customer. Um, like I say, yeah, we're looking at the reviews and we're looking at as a result, kind of the, the growth of organic. Um, ultimately, we want to have you know 60% organic, 40% PPC sales, um, because that's where the profitability will come from. You can't get the organic until you get the reviews, until you get the lower voice, I mean the better voice of customer, you know, that the, the consumer, the customer experience has to improve. Um, I think to a uh, to a lower extent, um, you know, returns. Um, it's really hard. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect return rate. You can only be better than your competitors, um, or at least on par with their competitors. Uh, so that's something that we we look at as well. Um, and we look at you know conversion rate. Um, so we're always looking to optimize uh, photographs and listings to figure out ways we can improve the conversion rate. Because so, I, I think at the end of the day, I think conversion rate res- solves all known problems. So you, you just, I mean, <clears throat> just so everybody knows, we did not rehearse this. <laughs> and, uh, and you are exactly right where I want you. Because okay. I am huge with conversion. Rate. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, tell me, how, how do you monitor conversion rate and share with us some benchmarks. Well, I mean, we look we look at the the we look at the the data from uh, business reports. So uh, the conversion rate against uh, what's it called? Yeah, like, I think it's called the conversion rate against sessions, right? Um, and so our job is to increase sessions and to increase the conversion rate of those the sessions. In other words. Consist, con- consistently increase sessions and consistently increase con- conversion rate. Usually what happens is you increase your, con- your sessions and your conversion rates are going to go down simply because it's a game of percentages. Okay. So the, the, the idea is either to grow your conversion rate along at the same percentage as percentage points as your session rate, or at least to keep it uh, not, not to drop significantly. Um, uh, so conversion rate comes down to the question of trust again, you know, it, you know, do people feel that this story is good enough to actually hit click, you know, a click to, I mean, to buy, right? So just for, for the listeners uh, benefit, conversion rate is not the advertising conversion. It's how many people click on the search result on your product and then land on your product page. And out of hundred people that land on that page, no matter where they came from, how many of them end up buying? That's what we're talking about when we say conversion rate, right? Yeah. So um, what is a good benchmark? Is it 10%, 20%, I, 30%? It, I've seen so many different categories. It depends. I, it's so hard. It really depends. I, I would, you know what, uh, I, I can't give a number. I mean, the, uh, the more, the better. I mean, 10% is, I think, would be outstanding. 20% I think is unheard of, but again, it depends if you're a branded product, if you're Bissell vacuum cleaners, you better have 20%. Um, but Bissell, you know, they're much more expensive. You know, you know what I push for with my clients? Yeah. 35 and up. 
That's tough. I'm getting it. I I would say I but I would do that. My I would challenge you back because like, how many set are the sessions increasing as well? Okay, that's a valid point. Because I could easily get my 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 conversion rate up to thirty five percent if I reduce my sessions. However, I would also reduce my amount of sales. Right. So so yeah, I I understand what you're saying. So what we're, what we're trying to do, especially with in, 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 as a brand incubator, you're trying to grow the the sessions fast. So your conversion rate is going to be inherently low. Is that bad or good? It doesn't matter. So, okay, I have a question for you, Matt. Yeah. Which one is better? Higher number of visitors to the page and lower conversion rate versus lower number of visitors to the page and higher conversion rate. I'm asking this to satisfy the Amazon algorithm. Which one is better? The answer is whichever would make Amazon more money. Um, no, it sounds funny, but so Amazon, why does it, okay, why is conversion rate so good? It's because Amazon knows that they're more likely to, to help you sell if they know you're more likely to sell and if you're more likely to sell more. So, uh, so that's how Amazon makes the money. In, in, when I was at Google, that's how Google makes its money. Google is going to give you the cheapest price for, for, for CPC if they know that you're more likely to click than somebody else because they'll make more money from you than they would from someone who has a higher click but a lower conversion, right? Same thing with Amazon. Amazon looks at, looks at you, they're, they're, they're sucking off your teat, right? And they want to know who's going to, who's going to they, when they look at, um, uh, um, let's say, uh, you and your competitor, then say, who is more likely to generate more revenue for Amazon? Um, and, and that's the answer. So if you're, if you're a high value product uh, with a high margin, uh, then lower sessions and a higher conversion rate is going to benefit Amazon more. If you're a lower value product, in other words, in the $15 range, um, then you're going to have to have a, a lot higher sessions and a lower conversion, and that will benefit Amazon more because they make a percentage per sale. So um, that's how I would look at it, at, at it that way. And, and, and I think what you're also giving, you're giving kind of like a false choice between one or the other, right? Um, it's not one or the other, it's and. Yes, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not or, it's and. So it's higher session rate and higher conversion rate. Um, you know, I, I think uh, choosing one or the other is, is, is a false choice. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, you have to play in all fronts. So how often, because the, the source to get this information is business reports by child skew. Yeah. So when you, so the only way to get that, unless you are, you have a huge technology infrastructure is by downloading the report. And when you're downloading that report, it says start date, end date. Yeah, there's a lag. So, there's a two-day lag, yeah. Yeah, so how often do you check it and what is the time frame you're looking at? Uh, we are looking uh, uh, usually a week behind. Um, so we look at it weekly. Um, and why are you a week behind? No, I'm sorry. We look a week ago. So we're comparing to the previous week. Oh, you compared um, to the previous week. I, I, but it also depends on the maturity of the product, right? Yeah. So um, uh, we might look at it, uh, you know, maybe in a, in, a, in, a, in a month, you know, compare it to the previous month. 
there might be seasonality involved, you know, so, so that means the, just downloading the report will not give you this. So uh, downloading the report is just going to give you the numbers. That means that you have to have a whole system of, you know, looking at it. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. We have dashboards. We've built our own dashboards. Um, so, so we export, we export. I, I was hoping for, you know, this is a whole kind of other uh, uh, topic, you know, getting a, a good solution provider for, you know, for, for data. Um, what we've learned is, yeah, we, we do a manual download. We upload it to Microsoft Access and that, um, uh, and, and yeah, and it, it does the job. It does yeah, the job. It does. It does. I mean, I know, I look, I'm a big fan of Access because it's a quick uh, thing, uh, but it's just, uh, it's, you know, you know how many times Access crashed and then, you know, especially across network use. Yeah, yeah, you know, but at least, it's, you know, I, I've seen. I, I've, it's something, I've, it's something. It's not. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen I've seen systems where we've, you know, where we've we've written our own API. When I was at an aggregator, we, we wrote our own APIs and connected directly. And we actually were able to train the computer to. Um, to actually manually download it automatically. So we, someone wrote a Python, you know, a script that actually did a mimic the mouse click. So you can, it was downloaded. Even with that, there were still errors in the API transfer. So yeah, yeah. even, you know, so, you know, I always say is it, it, as long as the, it, if there's a margin of error is consistent, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, because we're looking at dynamic. We're not looking at the actual number. It was at 5% or 7%. It doesn't matter. If we make the same mistake every single week, at least we're being consistent. Exactly. We can see the, the yeah. dynamics. And for us, so, dynamics is more important. So, I mean, the bottom line, what you're saying is you need to stay close to your conversion rate and then always look at it over a period of time and then compare it to the same periods. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly. That's Especially if you, if, if you have certain things that are very high seasonality, then, then obviously you need to compare, you know, either year on year or qu quarter on quarter. Um, you know, it's, 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 again, it's a great, it's a benchmark to know how well you're doing. And like I said, conversion rate solves every known problem. Right. If you have a good conversion rate, you've increased your organic, you, you'll increase your ranking, you'll decrease your CPC, you'll increase um, your orders in general, uh, and, and uh, your ranking will increase your amount of organic, it will decrease your amount of PPC. So your margin will go up. Every single known problem is solved through conversion rate. Exactly. That's the magic right. bullet. However, but if you're also you know, determined to grow, you can't grow, you, you will reach a cap. So once you get to your 35% conversion rate, you're going to be, first of all, it's going to be very hard to keep your conversion rate at 35% because your competitors are changing. Right, you have to do something. You you'll have to optimize somewhere or another, and you'll be testing. So you're going to go down a little, go up a little. But at one point, you're going to say, you know, I want, I don't want to do, you know, fifty a day. I want to do hundred a day. So you have to increase your sessions. Right. And then you're going to say, how do we increase it? Where do we get the Where do we get that the traffic from? Is it going to be from PPC? It's going to be external. This external traffic is it tends to kill your conversion rate even more because it's not qualified traffic. So there's a lot of things that you have to take into account. Does that mean it's a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's part of a growth strategy that, you know, it's maybe one step forward, two steps back, then an, I'm sorry, two steps forward, one step back, two steps yeah. forward, one step back. It's never linear. Exactly. So keep moving is the idea. Yep. <laughs> Great. So uh, Matt, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what do you do outside of Amazon when you're not working on okay. storytelling or numbers? Well, here's the interesting thing is that um, I actually, I'm, I'm in New York, um, but I just recently moved back. Um, 
I uh, spent the last 30 years in Russia. Uh, oh, my God. Exactly, well, exactly. Be an experience. It was a crazy experience. And, where, um, where in Russia? In Moscow. Right, in Moscow. And uh, I... I where, why were you there at the first place? You know, I went, I, I graduated college, and I was like, I, I'd studied Russian in college, and I'm like, this is... I had a kind of choice. What do I want to do? Do I want to get a job like everyone else who work nine to five and wear a suit and make, you know, have to spend more money on rent than you're making money. And I'm like, or do I just do something different? And I had the kind of the, the, the always like the interest in Russian. Uh, so I said, I'm going to go to Russia to study for a year. And I was going to study the language and I was looking around. Like, this place is crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here for another year and then another year and then another year and then another year. And if I'd say, if it wasn't for the war that, that broke out, it, um, you so know, we, you were there during the, uh, the Soviet Union. No, I was there right after the breakup of the Soviet oh, Union. Right after. Yeah. 92. So what did that play a role in your decision to go there? The breakup? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of, because I was there when, you know, the, the country was in shambles. I mean, there was no food there was lines for everything it was really wild wild west it was really depressing exactly and i saw this whole new economy being born i'm like i didn't you know this i wanted to see where this is going this is you know all these american companies are moving in and a new a democracy and an economy and everything is being built from the ground up and it was interesting to 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 watch and to be a part of um so yeah uh, i i did that um and uh, so, uh, like, you know, because of, you know, the situation with Ukraine, you know, my wife and I, who's Russian, we said, you know, this is not, it, we don't know where the situation is going. It's not going in a good direction. And we'd rather not participate, you know, be, not be a part of it from the inside. So we, we just, we packed our bags and we moved our family back to, back to New York, uh, where I'm originally So from. you moved back after the conflict started? A week. We we got we got we got all our stuff together in a week. We literally just packed our bags. And 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 your wife is from Russian. Ukraine. From no, Russian she no, Russian. she's she. My wife's from Moscow. And and how does she feel about this situation? Well, you know, it's 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 a great question. It depends on what news you watch. Um, the older generation of Russians who don't have access to you know Western, they don't read English. They they're relying very much on what the government is telling them. They are very pro-Russian, very anti-Ukrainian. Uh, every other Russian that I know that elite, that that is Western-focused, that speaks English, that that goes abroad, is anti-war. Uh, uh, so you know, my wife obviously she has access to other news sources and she can see a lot more of what's going on. And so obviously, it's something you can't. It's something that's just ridiculous. I mean, our, actually, our team, um, uh, two of our people in our team are actually in Ukraine. So, um, so during, during the month of March, um, you know, we were, I was, we were talking to them and we're like a week before the, the, the war started and still no one thought it was going to happen. Everyone thought it was beyond comprehension that this would happen because it's just, it's crazy. And we were like, why don't we all, what we were suggesting, why don't we, we'll, we'll rent a villa in Cyprus for you. Just it's cheap. It's close. You don't need a visa. And and they were like, no, it's okay. Uh, we don't think we think everything is. You know, this is our homeland. We're not going to go anywhere. We don't think anything is going to happen. And then a week later, unfortunately, um, you know, the the war started, and uh, one of our guys who was in Kiev, he was able to, he and his wife were able to get out of Kiev after just like a, a, a horrible, just 
um, the amount of traffic, everyone trying to get out of Kiev, they ended up in Western Ukraine. Uh, they were renting a place for a little bit and now they're back in the Kiev and life is I'm not back to normal, but they're able to live in Kiev in relative safety. Our other guy was in a different city called Chernigov and that city was destroyed. And he was in a bomb shelter for about two weeks and they ended up running out of water and food and they opened up a humanitarian corridor and he was able to get out. And he also fled to Western Ukraine, but now he's back in Kiev as well. Um, and we're continuing, you know, we continued to pay them. Uh, we were trying to, you know, we couldn't, we, we lost contact with them for a good month. Um, but we're, we're happy that they're safe. We're happy that they're still working with us. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's unusual that, and a part of uh, our other part of our team is also Russian. So our financial director is Russian. Um, we have our, our sourcing, our, our head of, uh, sourcing and, and, uh, supplier, uh, supplier relations is Russian and he's, Chi he speaks Chinese, but he's Russian. So, you know, when we have our team meetings, um, it's very important not to talk politics. <laughs> yeah. These days that's yeah. a killer. So, uh, I have a question for you. So now that I learned about 30 years in Russia, so I heard you talk about telling a story, but you put the emphasis about your story as a company being, we are Americans, we are in America, we speak like Americans, we sound like Americans. So, I mean, having spent 30 years outside America, you seem to have embraced being American, an American lifestyle, so to speak. Where, where do you think that's coming from? Well, my ability to recognize what a, you know, okay, so I'm able to compare it to something else. So I have, I can explain, so I can do a much better job of explaining what American lifestyle is to an American because Americans don't, you don't realize it. You're in, you know, you're, you're in, let's say you can't explain to a, a fish what water is until you take the fish out of the water, yeah. right? So the same thing here. So I was able. So I, I you know, I, I can look at American culture from, from a, a a more objective point of view because I wasn't in American culture. I was I was viewing it from afar. The same thing with Russian. I was never a Russian. Never became Russian. I wasn't part of the Russian. But I can understand Russian culture and explain it to a Russian a lot better because I was viewing it more objectively. And I think you probably have that as well. I mean, New York is t tends to be different. You don't tend to find true Americans in New York. Yeah, but 95 but, languages, right? Yeah, yeah. But you can see, um, you know, Americans are, you know, Americans have a certain behavior. They they have cultural values um, that are are um, that are a certain set, and they and it different differs from Russian, German, British. So what you are saying is you don't realize the value of something until you lose it. It's kind of Like yeah, it, well, exactly, exactly. But it's also, you know, what, for me, it comes down to, you know, I, my, my theory is this, is that, you know, you don't, you, you, if you want to, you, you focus on, you look at someone's behavior and then you look on the behavior and then you say, okay, what are the values behind that behavior? So why are they doing what they're doing? So for example, very simple, I think, example is the way Russians stand in line, American way Americans stand in line. Uh, the, 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 the sanctity of a line in, in America is, is extremely important, Right. Um, everyone stands, everyone literally standing in, in a line. And I, I see how people wait for an, a bus in New York City. Laugh, I laugh sometimes because they're in a neat, orderly line all the way down the street. Um, in, in Russia, as soon as the door opens, everyone tries to rush in. <laughs> 
and and I always call it like it's like the mushroom effect because if you look like from the top from the you know um, it looks like a mushroom trying to squeeze itself into a, a bus. Now you can say one is better one, but the value. So the value in American there with that behavior is orderly predictability, right? But that has to. I mean, you are conditioned, right? So you 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 must go back to your your you know. You, when you grew up, you know how your your home, your parents, of course, of course, taught you that, right? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but also, you know, there's a value of showing up on time. You know, certain cultures, we know, they don't show, they, they don't value showing up on time. They they're, they they value something different. So, you know, for a Spaniard to show up on time is is unusual, but a German to show up on time is exceptional, is expected. And the reason is the value is the Germans pre- uh, value uh, punctual and uh, you know, being punctual, Spaniards uh, value uh, enjoying the time that they have. Yeah, it's so, the journey. It's the journey rather exactly. than the destination. Exactly. So when you when, so I when I was in in Russia and I'm working uh, with a lot of international teams, I'd see this a lot. I'd see how the Spanish and the the Spanish team and the Italian team and the German team would try to talk to each other, and it was hilarious because. <laughs> Because and they don't in a, because they're 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 all they have different they're being driven by different values. Yeah. Like the the Germans want to begin every single meeting with an agenda. So you know what I find fascinating is you grew up in a in an environment where you were given certain values, you know, American values, American lifestyle, and now you're telling the story of your values in your Amazon operation. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it it yeah. kind of connects, right? It yeah. connects, and yeah. you are telling it proudly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Thank you, thank you for uh, recognizing that. Yeah, I mean that's what I see. This is great. Uh, so Matt, tell us about uh, how people can reach out and find you. We will obviously put your contact information on the website, but give it to us now so people can uh, connect. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, write, you know, uh, our, our, we have our, our corporate website. You can write me through there. Um, we get all the, I get all the emails. Um, you know, like I said, you know, we're always, we're an incubator. Um, we're, we're, we're looking, we, we love building new brands. Um, we're willing to work with aggregators to build brands for them. We're working with anyone, actually, anyone who, who wants to basically, who has um, the desire and, and the investment to build a brand. Um, we have the infrastructure and the know-how to do that. Uh, right now, we're working. We own the brands that we have, um, but we're 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 looking to expand that kind of that that knowledge and experience. So uh, uh, to 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 partner with someone who wants to invest in Amazon but doesn't have the experience. And what's your website? Uh, it's www.kinge4.com. Great, great. Thank you, Matthew. This is uh, this is very. Uh, the perspective is different. You almost did a paradigm shift uh, <laughs> instead of product. We're selling stories. So that was great. I'm glad. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.